Welcome to Saverhand's Goalkeeping Chat with the Pros podcast, where we chat to current and ex-pros and coaches about the number one position. Let's dive right in with your host, Saverhand's Goalkeeping's Ross Ballantyne. Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Saverhand's Goalkeeping Chat with the Pros podcast. This week's episode we're chatting to Atletico Ottawa and Canadian goalkeeper Ricky Gomez. He's going to speak about his journey from Canada to Portugal, how he ended up at a broth in Scotland and beyond. Let's dive right into the action. So, firstly, Ricky, thanks for coming on in the first episode of um, Chat with the Pros for Safe Fans Goalkeeping. How have you been keeping? I've been all right. Uh, can't complain too much. A little bit bored, I think, like everyone is bored at the time right now. But, uh, you know, try to keep busy and uh, just wait it out. Good, good, good. So, just uh, the way we're going to start these interviews off, like, is um, just what you know. Where did it all start for you? Where did it all start for me? I would have to say, as a goalkeeper, I think it all started in my cousin's backyard. Uh, my cousin used to babysit me. He's older than me. Uh, so, after school, I would go over to his and uh he was a striker at the time and i think he just wanted to take shots on someone so uh he started kind of training me to be as a goalkeeper uh in his backyard he had two trees that kind of made like a perfect you know like 77 in the side net and uh he was kind of telling me trying to teach me like the basics of goalkeeping you know hands out in front and catching the ball with the w and all these things and i think that's where i kind of began that's where i started having the love for goalkeeping mm-hmm. Um, before that, I was a center back, um, and I was playing out. And uh, I think there, that's where it all really, really started. And then from there, I went and uh, at the club level, I started playing in it as well. Um, and uh, I think it all just started from there. I started here in Canada, started with my just my local club, and uh, started doing well and getting picked up by kind of because uh, Canada's a big country. We have uh, more of like a regional system and then a provincial system. And then from that, you go ahead and get onto the national system with the national team. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to go to FC Porto when I was 14. And that's kind of where my European career started. And um, and yeah, I think that's where it all began. I think it all began just in the backyard, like uh, many of us, many goalkeepers out there. Like uh, everyone's just kind of dreaming and playing in the backyard, having fun with uh, a relative, a friend, you know, someone uh, that they grew up with. And um I would say for sure that's that's where everything really began. I think for for most once you once you get that first dive in, you're, you're hooked, aren't you? Yeah. You know that's yeah, the yeah. Right thing. You get hooked. You get hooked. No, excellent, Ricky. So you, you spoke about you went to Portal. Was it age fourteen? Did you see you went to Portal? Yeah. Uh, so I turned fifteen that summer. Mm-hmm. So leaving leaving obviously Canada. To come to uh, Portugal and Europe, it's a big, it's a big uh, ask for the end of, you know, 18, 19, 20, but for being 14, 15, uh, did you go away from your parents or did they travel with you? Um, no, I went away. Um, mm. I think it was tough. Uh, grow, growing up here in Canada, kind of, we didn't really have any options at the time. Yep. Um, and I grew up in the same city where um, there was a footballer here called David Edgar. Yeah. And uh, he played for Newcastle uh, on his Newcastle debut at home. He scored against Manchester United. You know, uh, he's got the story like three or four hours before the game. They, t- they told him that he was going to get the start. He was going to play left back against Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he left as well when he was young. He left when he was around 13, 14 as well. So I think I kind of used him. I played with his cousin. And uh, his father was actually, funny enough, my first uh, goalkeeping coach. Uh, like, First ever goalkeeping coach. His father was a goalkeeper as well. Played uh, played over in England and then played uh, here in the, in the U.S. with the New York Cosmos. And um, and I think I kind of used his uh, example kind of as a model for me. Because, uh, you know, I had it in my head already from a young age that if I wanted to make it as a footballer, I had to go to Europe. And that's what I did. When After probably since 12 years old, I kind of had this click that I had to be better than everyone here by a country mile because I wanted to make it in Europe. And I knew that that was the only way I could make it. 
So um, when I came at 14, I uh, had the opportunity and I jumped on it and I went over already by myself. Um, at the time, I had maybe trials to go to Newcastle and so on before that. But my parents didn't feel so comfortable with me going to a country with no family. So at least in Portugal, I had some family. I had my uh, grandparents and my uh, aunts and uncles. So uh, when I was 15, I moved over. I went to the Porto Academy. And I think they had a bit more of peace of mind that, you know, on the weekends, I could go see some family. Yeah, and that, that obviously helps you settle in as well. You know, having a family and sort of more home comforts rather than just going and staying in a boarding school and being with, with strangers as such. No, excellent, Ricky. So, you, when you were at Porto, so who was the sort of goalkeepers or players at the time when you were at Porto? Uh, so, the players at the time at Porto, we, uh, the goalkeepers we had was uh, Helton. He was uh, one of the Port uh, Brazilian national team goalkeepers. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. He's yeah. actually from the town I'm from in Portugal as well. So, I know him quite well. The, the Wolves manager now. Yep. Uh, he used to be a goalkeeper. Uh, he used to play for Porto, uh, La Coruña. Uh, and he's, uh, yeah, he was there at the first team as well, uh, already kind of at the end of his career. He was more uh, uh, of a captain there, just, uh, you know, one of the figures in the dressing rooms on the first team. Uh, when I was 15, I trained with the first team for the first time, and that's when I kind of got my first encounter with the first team players. Uh, at the time, we had players like Lisandro Lopez, Lucho Gonzalez, uh, Argentina national team players. Uh, uh, I played with Hulk. Trained with Hulk as well when he was at Porzo, Radamel Falcon, uh, Raul Mireles, some pretty big names in world football, some guys that are worth some, some big bucks nowadays. Man. Yeah, de definitely. Like, um, I think for somebody so young to be in that environment and, and learn off of them, you know, top strikers, you know, you're playing yeah. against them, watching how they move, how they strike a ball, looking at their cues and their visuals is massive for any young goalkeeper. You know, um, yeah, I think it's kind of a bit surreal because I I, uh, I remember being in the changing room with them, you know, in the locker room and thinking, you know, eight months ago, I was sitting on my couch halfway across the world watching them play. And sure, maybe it was a dream that I would make it there one day, but I'd never thought that, you know, within eight months, I would be able to be there sharing a pitch, training with them, trying to compete against them. Um, I think that just shows, you know, in football, things can change so fast that, you know, you have these crazy stories that, uh, you know, somebody from nowhere all of a sudden jumps up and makes it to, you know, the top flight. And I think, you know, that's something that it does happen. So I think everyone needs to, to believe that it can happen because things in football change really, really quickly. Yeah, no, 100%. So from, from Porto, how long did you spend at Porto, eh, Ricky? Uh, two years. Two years. And then from Porto, where did you move to after that? I moved to a club, they're kind of a, a club in the, what we would say, maybe like League One in Portugal, fighting for the championship. Um, they had a couple big veteran names uh, that played you know, uh, Champions League and so on in Portugal. Uh, the club was called Goldemar, and I was uh, kind of the starting goalkeeper for the youth, so the under-19 level, and then I was the third goalkeeper at the first team. So I was ready to put into an environment that I was training you know, with the uh, first team level. Every day, which you know is very important for a goalkeeper. If anyone can do that, if they can train with older uh, goalkeepers or with the men's side and be playing also with the youth side, I think it's the perfect situation because you're getting the, the top experience of training and competing against somebody that's more experienced where you can learn every day and you can challenge yourself every day. But also, you're getting game time and minutes on the weekend as well, which is very, very important. No, it's a great, it's a great learning curve to just like you say, watch, watch and train with older, experienced pros, and again, seeing what they're good at, seeing what, see what you can take from them, and also see what you know what they're not really that good at that. I want to be better at that. How can I then be better in them? Because ultimately, you want to take their their position. You know, so no, excellent. So how did it come from? Yeah, exactly. You, so you you left there and you went to Spain. Yeah, so uh, after that, I still went to Vitoria Stubble in, uh, in Portugal, the uh, first division club. Uh, it's, uh, it's a city where Jose Mourinho's from. It's where he started coaching as well. Um, and uh, it was kind of the same situation. Um, I was, uh, it was my last year of uh, under-19 football. I was playing with under-19s and training with the first team. At the time, the first team, they had uh, two very good goalkeepers. They had uh, a Brazilian goalkeeper called Diego. He was one of the high... He was one of the best goalkeepers in the league at the time. And uh, they also had Ricardo, the Portuguese national team goalkeeper. 
Yep. Uh, the one that uh, has a famous uh, penalty save against England in the Euro 2004 with no gloves. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So that's just another thing, you know, like I've, I've been fortunate enough to train with some really, really, really good goalkeepers. And I think it's something that's very important for everyone that, you know, that can, they can take advantage of that and try to learn. Um, whether it's a top goalkeeper or whether it's just an average goalkeeper, I think you can learn from everyone because everyone does things differently and everyone has a different point of view on certain things. So maybe you can challenge yourself and see what, what's better, what's better, what works for you. And I think that's something that, that I've always tried to do, no matter who I'm training with. But I've been very fortunate enough to train with you know, some really, really good goalkeepers. Yeah. Because uh, Ricardo, he went to Man United as well, didn't he? Uh, I'm sure he went to Man United. Went, I think Baldez went, I don't know if, uh, from Spain, I don't know if uh, Ricardo went. I know he went to Seville. He was in, uh, sorry, uh, Betis in Seville. Uh, mm-hmm. He was at Sporting. He played for the Portuguese national team for years. Uh, he went to Leicester. That's where Le- he was. In was it Leicester? Uh, he, I don't know yeah, where I'm getting my United from. Yeah, yeah, oh. he went to Leicester. Uh, I think you're thinking of Valdez. Valdez also kind of similar build from Spain. Yeah. He went to Man United. But no, uh, Ricardo went to, um, to Leicester, so he was in England. Uh, and actually, at the time, I was asking him a lot about England because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think everyone's kind of dream would be to play like you know at the top level and that's the, the EPL. So I was asking him what it was like in England, how the trainings are, because uh, every country kind of has different styles and especially in goalkeeping. And uh, yeah, that's something I I was always asking him about his time in England. Yeah, excellent. So you then moved to Spain to Deportivo La Coruña. Yeah. How how did you find the difference with we we the grounding that you got in Portugal to then go over to Spain? Was there much difference? Obviously, the club was in La Liga, big club as well. Yeah, it's a massive club. It's kind of a, a sleeping giant at the moment. They've you know they've gone through some rough times, yo-yoing from La Liga into the second division as well. But um, yeah, it's uh, I th- like I just touched on the goalkeeping culture. I think is different in Spain. Um, in Portugal, you have a lot of goalkeepers, uh, goal- goalkeeper coaches that are still very old-fashioned uh, in the way they work. And in Spain, I think they're almost more revolutionary. They're trying to do different things. Uh, that was the first time that I had a goalkeeper coach that, um, that has also worked in England at Nottingham Forest with Carranca. And uh, for me, it was a challenge in training because he was always doing open trainings, something that you always had to think about. He was always trying to get you to think, always trying to, to get you to try to see the full picture and not just see one picture, um, to see you know, all the opportunities, all the probabilities, what can possibly happen in every situation. So after trainings, you know, like when you're, when you're training and having everything as an option, you have to be focused the whole time. And after, after every training, you would kind of just get in the change room and you would be mind blown kind of thing. Like you would just be overwhelmed because all the information he would shoot at you. Um, also in Spain, I think they're a lot more reactive. Um, in Portugal, I would say of the clubs that I played in, because every club has a different style. Uh, for instance, at Porto, they would, uh, they would talk a lot about uh, defending the space because you're playing for a big team, a team that's pressuring high. Um, so they wanted us to defend a lot of the space. So a lot of our positioning is a lot different there um, than maybe a, an average club. Um, but I would say overall in Portugal, they, uh, the biggest aspect that they train is playing with the feet and shot stopping. Mm-hmm. Where in Spain, I would say a lot of reaction and, uh, and also from maybe from playing from the back as well. But a lot of reaction, a lot of drills with tennis balls and uh, you know, ping balls, anything to get you thinking quick and moving fast. and feeling sharp really but uh i think that's one difference for sure in portugal maybe i would have a higher load of training and do more repetitions mm-hmm. where in spain it was more of a shorter uh smaller repetitions but faster reactions faster movements uh had to think faster make quick decisions well any sort of sessions i've seen and i've been lucky enough to watch uh, jose sabada and Luis lopez very closely mm-hmm. um Way back in 2013, when I brought them over to the UK, everything is brain training. Everything's reactions. It's colours. It's quick reactions. It's thinking mm-hmm. on your feet. Once you once you went for one one ball, another one's played. You know, yeah. just yeah, always yeah. getting you. It's thinking. never finished. It's never over. <laughs> no, 
you know, and they do obviously, you know, anything I've seen them, they have, you know, they've got like, I'm going to say circus, but there's so much, they use every bit of equipment they can get. If there's any bit of equipment that's lying about, they'll find a way of using it. Yeah, and I try yeah. to just be creative. Yeah. You know, and get the best. And I think if you watch Spanish goalkeepers, they make saves that's in and around them quick that they shouldn't be making. Yeah. Rather, you know, and that comes down to their training. Yeah, for sure. I think that's something that's that's fruit from the the work that they put in uh, during the week. Um, yeah, you see, like a lot of those ones that you know, especially like the one you see is maybe crossing and heading, where there's a man heading from maybe two yards in front of you, and you're somehow getting a hand on that, you know, just quickly. Yeah. Um, but that's something that we would train there. That is something that they do train. Yeah, and behind every training practice, so there has to be an element. How does this? How does this uh, look in the game? You train what you play. I'm a big believer in that. So, you know, if you're watching, and it's, you can go into YouTube, you can watch all these Spanish drills, or Portuguese drills, or British drills. But if you don't know the meats and bones of the practice, why are they doing it? How are they doing it? What's the thinking behind it? it? You know, and you then go and try to replicate it. They, they're probably doing it wrong because they don't understand the methods behind it. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was. Um, that's one thing that my coach at Deportivo, like I said, he was giving us a lot of information, but he was giving us information because he wanted us to understand why. And I think that's the biggest thing in football and in life and anything you do. If you understand why you're doing it, then I think you're going to be more capable to do it and you're going to start finding ways of doing it better. Versus if you're just doing it out of repetition, you're just doing it out of repetition, you're, you're doing it mindlessly, you're not thinking about it, you're not trying to understand why. And then you can't react or make the right decision because you didn't understand it. For instance, if I understand why the, if I can understand why the strikers took a touch a certain way, then I know that maybe the probability is that he's looking for something. And then can I read the game and see if that is on or not on and then uh, make my decision from that versus if I'm just looking at it and I'm just reacting to a certain situation, I'm not actually thinking or being one step ahead of the time. So I'm always limited to what I can do. Yeah. No, like it, and again, just in the final point, this I think a lot of people look at, you know, like Spanish or Portuguese practices, and they look at tennis balls, all the equipment. Yeah, getting it looks all nice and neat, but they don't know how to do it afterwards. Yeah, and they, and they look and they'll go, oh, you, you, I'm I'm not using a tennis ball, I'm not using a Swiss ball. Why are they doing this jump? Why are they doing that? But if you don't understand what their thinking is behind it, exactly. you know then what, you shouldn't be able to comment on it because... Exactly. Yeah. And it, most, of, uh, yeah, most of that stuff is probably what makes the videos and, and does go viral on Instagram and mm -hmm. so on. But that would always only be maybe a piece of the training, you know, mm -hmm. as even training with you. Sometimes we would use stuff like that, but it would never be the full training, you know. Maybe it's something that we use to then go into a, a game situation yep. or so on. And that on the videos isn't really being explained. So some mm -hmm. people might just be doing just that bit and not taking it to the next step, progressing to the, the drill into a more realistic situation. I think a lot of, I mean, as you know, a lot of uh, goalkeeper coaches and uh, maybe uh, goalkeepers as well, they, they're heavily influenced with social media nowadays. Yeah. But it is crucial to understand the importance of why you're doing it so then you can understand it better and then make the decisions and learn from it. No, 100%, 100%. So after Deportivo, where were you next on your journey to? Uh, went back to Portugal to a club in, uh, we'll say like League Two in, uh, no League Two, no League One in um, in uh, Portugal. Uh, went to a club there, uh, were fighting for my spot. Well, I was at the Canadian national team for Olympic qualifiers that season as well, and I had a pretty bad injury. I tore six centimeters in my quad. Uh, was kind of you know, fighting. Uh, to recover from that and then I uh, got injured finished the, the season injured and then went back fully fit with you in Scotland the season after that was when I started in Scotland that was when I started training with uh, with safe hands and then from there I went to Arbroath yeah so that would have been about four years ago maybe 2016 uh, around yeah. that yeah yeah but yeah. 2016 yeah, it was 2016 Portugal yeah. Yeah, that, that's right, because we were training, we were training after the semi-final, that was right. I remember, I remember one half, one happy uh, Canadian-Portuguese man then. Um, so you, yeah. you came to Abroso, um, 
first thing we need to touch on a broth. How much of that was, was a culture shock to you, like going to a broth from obviously coming from Deportivo, um, yeah. Porto, Victor's uh, Seville? Yeah, I think it's uh, it was a big change for me. Um, I think, uh, yeah, just culturally, uh, footballing is, football is different. The way people look at football is different. Um, also, the, the weather conditions are different. So it maybe influences that as well, it influences the style of play. Um, some grounds you can't play a certain style because of the because of the, the weather conditions. Our growth being one that you know it's really with the wind machine is on. You know yeah. it's the closest uh, stadium to the sea in all of Europe. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I think uh, culturally um, it was a big change for me. Uh, even the fans, I think the, the fans in, in Scotland and were are nicer than in Portugal. I think the, you feel the love from them. I think they, the people live football there. They love it. You know, they're passionate and they understand things uh, better. Uh, we're in Portugal. I think fans are more fanatic. They're more diehards. You, you have more crazy, uh, crazy experiences. I think with fans in uh, in Portugal or Spain or you know more the Latin European countries. Uh, uh, you know, there's more pressure coming from the fans, um, and they really only want one outcome. They don't really care how it's coming. They don't care what happens. They just want you to win. And if you don't win, then there, there's more of a, a pressure, more problems with that. But in uh, in Scotland, I always felt welcomed by by everyone. Um, also, I think the you know the uh, there's more of a culture with uh, you know Saturday or Sunday. You know, Saturday's the football day. Everyone yep. goes to football. You know, the uh, the kids go with their kid, with their parents. Uh, to, to lunch and then they go watch a football match you know there's that tradition of you know but Saturday you're spending a full football day mm-hmm. and um, I think that's something that's that's amazing um, I would love to to grow up in an environment like that you know uh, I know there's a lot of kids that are growing up will go into away days or going to watch their local club or whatever it is but it's a it's you know it's a tradition that's there it's uh, something that is you know from from the bottom up and I think it's uh, amazing as far as a uh, footballing style. It's a lot more physical in Scotland than it was in, uh, in Portugal, Spain. Um, Portugal, Spain, I would say it's more tactical. Everyone's trying to think more because they're lazier. They don't want to work mm-hmm. as much. <laughs> and uh, and in Scotland, it's much more aggressive and uh, straight to the point. Um, also, a big confusion, like something that was really confusing to me, and I, I think I told you at the time as well when I first came, was that in Portugal, everyone's full time. And at the time, I went to our growth, and our growth is a part-time club. And for me, that was just, I just didn't understand how, you know, we have a professional club, but it's yeah. part-time, you know, they only train twice a week. Um, that was something that was challenging for me, I think, as well. Um, I, uh, with you, I always found the extra way to keep training because, uh, you know, I was used to training every day. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I think it's a bit of a, you know, that's the, the change maybe in the culture as well. Um, in Portugal, everyone plays football every day, you know, from the, the youth up in, you know, in probably 300 clubs, 400 clubs, you know, they train every day. So um, that's, I think, something that's different culturally as well. I think I think that um, is something that I think should happen. You know, you say Portugal, obviously it's a different country, different climate, bigger country, whatever it may be. Uh, but the game doesn't change. You know, the more, the more time you can get on the pitch, and learn, you know, the better you're going to be, you know. For I, 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 do, I don't believe that people are just born. I think you've got natural ability, but it's how you get that natural ability out. And somebody, I'll use Ronaldo for instance, has obviously got so much natural abilities, but he that's been nurtured from a young age, and it's still getting nurtured just now, you yeah. know. So and that comes from contact time with the ball and being able to train, like you say, every day. You know, uh, yeah. but in Scotland, yeah, I think that's one thing that I think, yeah, yeah, in Scotland, I think it's a bit complicated like that. Um, I think in Portugal right now, we have the greatest examples of that as well as with uh, the B team, and now they started an under 23 league as well. And so, you, you already have all these full time clubs that are training every day. Um, but now also, they have the top clubs have the B team, and from the B team, there's so many opportunities. Uh, you have the likes of uh, Andre Silva. Uh, Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva wasn't good enough to play for Benfica's first team. Mm-hmm. If there was no Benfica B team at the time, he wouldn't have had a platform to play. He would be lost in the lower divisions in Portugal. 
yeah. uh, because of the B team, the likes of that, he went, he got a move from Benfica to Monaco. Um, so at Portugal right now, you have everyone's training every day, and you have so many different stages to be able to show. You know, so many platforms you can play with under 23s, you can play with under 19s, you can play with the B team, or you can play with the first team. You can go to a, you can leave a, one of say a top club and then go to a, to a second or third division club and play with the men and then show from there as well. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different opportunities there. And I think that's something that Portugal has really gained with that is now you have guys like Bernardo Silva, Andre Silva, guys that young guys that are moving up where, you know, before that they probably wouldn't have any opportunities. I mean, a couple of years before that, before the B team started out, Portugal made it to the final of the under 20 world cup. Out of that team, there's maybe three footballers that still are around and they were in the final of the world cup, you know? Uh, so because at the time there just wasn't any opportunities they weren't good enough to play in the first teams uh, or the first teams would go sign South American players they, would, they didn't have the opportunity and I think the, for youth pro progress the biggest things you need is training playing and the opportunity to progress and opportunity to show at a higher level and if you don't have one of those things then potentially your, your development might be staggered right if you're not training every day if you're not getting the opportunity to do that when you get to a men's level, uh, well, the men's team might go sign a 400 that has already. So now you're playing, now you're training against someone that's got, I don't know how many more minutes of training. Yep. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know if uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of kids there know who Kobe Bryant was. Uh, yep. He was a you know, famous uh, basketball player. And he talks about training for four or five, six times a day, even when he was a professional. Even when he was one of the best in the world, he was still doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think that just shows, you know, the, he, how much you need to want it or how much he wanted it. And yep. that shows how he was able to get the next level. You know, Ronaldo is another one. He's obviously has his natural ability. But you have a greatest example in Portugal is you have Quaresma. And Quaresma had more natural ability than Ronaldo, but Ronaldo just worked at it. And he still works at it. Mm -hmm. He's a machine. Yeah. He keeps working, keeps working, keeps wanting it. So he's always looking at ways to better himself. I think uh, there's a quote. I can't remember the actual quote, but it's the day that you did when you're not training, your competitor is. Yeah. When your competition is something like that. Yeah, so yeah, it's more yeah. or less saying every day. When you're, you're when you're asleep, when you're asleep, your your enemy is uh, is working, trying to find a way to yeah. dethrone you. Yeah, no, definitely. So no, it is. I think workload, workload, correct workload, correct training load, having a, having a desire to you know improve. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Just not, just not technically, but also physically, tactically, sociably uh, as well. Exactly. So, so obviously, we'll just uh, talk a wee bit about abroad just before we move on. So, mm -hmm. you came to abroad. You said there's um, the pitch is the closest to NAC in in Europe. Mm -hmm. My first game there uh, when I was at Albion Rovers, we got bet one 0 and it was in the second game of the season, so about the tenth August, and the goal mm -hmm. was a one assist goal. <laughs> so you know, it just shows it can happen in the summer, or it can it's happen. In, uh, can happen in the winter. Uh, yeah. When I was there, I actually forgot what summer was. The first year I moved to Scotland, because uh, mm -hmm. I remember I was watching a La Liga game, Valencia and Sevilla, and everyone was really tanned. And I was thinking, man, they must be hitting the sunbeds hard. And, <laughs> and then I remembered it was August and thirty degrees in Spain. But my first year there in our growth, it was August and it was thirteen and it was pouring down. Yeah. And I wasn't living in our growth, so in our growth it must have been probably seven, and it was windy. Because <laughs> um, and obviously at Brough you had uh, the legend that's Dick Campbell, your manager, uh, a Scottish um, folklore hero. You know he's a legend of the game. So you know I've seen him doing the after dinner speaker, and then obviously being in the office after games with him. Uh, you know he is a character. How is how is that coming from probably from the background that you had and the grounding you had? But probably when the managers are so tactically aware, everything's pinpointed down to the letter to someone that's just really off the cuff. You know, obviously you had uh, yeah. Pink there, yeah, who's in sure. a young age who did do a lot more of the training. He was more the manager, man manager. But was that massive? Like the difference in the the methodology and the way, the, how meticulous they were to what you were used to. Definitely, I would say it's. Completely, completely different, you know, almost unheard of. Uh, but it's something I learned from, I think. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely in, in Portugal, you have coaches that were more tactical, more on the details, talking about all these little details. Um, 
but it's true that sometimes you can get overcoached. Um, so, you know, you get too much information. You know, not every player can deal with the same amount of information as another player. You know, everyone's different. Some players learn differently. Some players get taught differently. You know, I can go and explain something to you one way and go explain something to someone else beside you in the same way, but you, you take different points out of it. You know, everyone's got a different understanding. So I think that's something I learned from uh, Dick is very simple. Um, and uh, I think it's something that really helped us out, uh, you know, um, because, you know, yeah, you can be overcoached and so on. But I think with him, the biggest thing was, you know, you were getting coached during the week training. Mm-hmm. And when it came out on match day, he already knew what capability you had. That's why he signed you. That's why he recruited you. That's why you're in the first mm-hmm. 11. So he knew what you're capable of doing. And I think uh, he put a uh, responsibility on us with that. Uh, he knew our talents. So he put the full responsibility on the players and, uh, and let us know, you know, to, to go out and play the way that he knows that we could play. So there wasn't the pressure of oh, I had to do a certain thing on that match day or, or so on. Maybe there's some things on different things on different mm-hmm. days, but it was never something major. It was never something, a big change that he was asking for. He was always, you know, asking for us just to keep it simple. He would even say, you know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, keep it simple. Don't try to, you know, elaborate. <laughs> yeah. Don't be changing the way you play because the game is different or because you're playing against a different opponent. Play and, the and way you, you know how to play. And he wouldn't be saying it in that language either. Uh, no. <laughs> it would be uh, F and C's all over the place with Dick. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's definitely with, with Dick Campbell. I mean, for me, it was a big challenge, but even the Scottish boys sometimes couldn't even understand them as well. Yeah. So, you know, he's a fight for it. No, like and, I say, uh, he's, a, he's, a legend with, a, he's a legend in the game. Yeah. And, and you can't, can, you know, what he's achieved in the game. Even, I think he's... Is it 40 years in management or something? Is that yeah, now? Um, yeah, I think he's got games in Scottish yeah. football. Um, yeah. And yeah. even this season, our broth was in our league this season. We, we uh, played them first game of the season, drew nothing each. We played them just before Christmas. We bet them 2 0. And then we got mm-hmm. bet 2 0 uh, up at Abroth in January. And mm-hmm. the players that, he's, that he had is, is the same squad that he's won the league, he's won the league yeah. with in that first season yeah. and so he, he knows when he just he knows how he build a team he doesn't just go i'm moving from league two to league one it's a full new team he just no. you know every every season he just adds one or two and you know you can see right away with the players they run through brick walls for them you know and that's and if it's a manager or a coach that's what that's what you expect or that's what you want your players to do and you know, and to credit to Dick and uh, the boys that are brought, you know, the, the people say they've overachieved this year. I think the continuity, I want a mentality, not changing yeah. the team too much. Yeah, if and, you ask me if it's a surprise, it's not for me. No. Because <laughs> I know exactly what's what's in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, what he's really good at is obviously, yeah, the man management. You know, everyone is happy. Even in a, in a situation, if you're not playing, you're still going to training and you're enjoying yourself. You know, you're enjoying mm-hmm. being in that environment. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even as a, as a player that wouldn't be playing, you wouldn't want to leave because you, you you know it's such it's such a good environment. You know you're enjoying your football. I think that's the biggest thing. Everyone's enjoying their football. Everyone's uh, you know enjoying being teammates with one one another. You know you have a good team bonding there. And and then like I said, it comes on the weekend and it's a it's a match day and you put all the responsibility on ourselves. You know like he said, you know the responsibility is on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone knew that what, what they had to do. So everyone was running through brick walls. Everyone would do anything they could because they they knew that you know it's. It's it's on them if they didn't. Yeah. So at the end of the first your first season you won League Two. Yeah. Um there's obviously a friend that wants to see that and check the pictures when he's got the trophy. You've got the back the, the scarf around the head, loving yeah. life. Um mm-hmm. speaking and knowing a few of both uh, fans, you actually built like a, a cult hero sort of um, figure at uh So mm-hmm. everything's all good. Everything's all good end of season one. Yeah, obviously, at the end of season one, the, the late John Ritchie passed away, a goalie coach um, known again in Scottish football. And uh, mm-hmm. Brad Douglas came in, who was obviously Dick had at Forfa. And um, as a player, he came in and he would, if you were fit, unfit, um, injured, he would be playing. And he came and took the goalkeeping coaching position, which he still got. Yeah. And then going into season two, you were playing Hibs. And disaster struck. 
Uh, before Hibs. Was it before Hibs? Before Hibs. Yeah, yeah it was so it was the Hibs game that happened, wasn't it? Uh, no, yeah, yeah. So it was the Hibs game that I really saw that there was something really yeah. wrong with me, really. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I played against Aloua in the League Cup. Uh, you know, came from a preseason, you know, top confidence, you know, felt mm-hmm. really good, you know, felt like maybe it was going to be a really big breakthrough season for yeah. me. Because you um, came in, you did preseason with Fuzz as well at Livingston, didn't you? you came in, yeah, did yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, did, did the preseason with you as well. Uh, we played in the friendly matches against Dundee, Aberdeen, and so on. And, you know, we tied Dundee when I, we were tied nil-nil or something when I was still on. Uh, so I felt good, you know, like kept a clean sheet against Dundee, you know, playing well against Aberdeen. Uh, came off a really good preseason. First game uh, comes of the League Cup, uh, playing Alawa. And uh, a boy gets sent through, and I go up for the ball. And he didn't jump. Instead of jumping, I got a knee straight to the face. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of like you see in the movies. You just hear this ringing, and everything blacks out. Uh, and then I could just feel kind of like a big like smash in my mouth. So I think that's kind of what woke me up. I felt the smash in my mouth, and I, and, and I, could, I couldn't really open my eyes yet, but I just felt uh, a lot of liquid in my mouth at the time. And uh, sure enough, I broke my front teeth, and, uh, and uh, I, I got knocked out. But I, at the time, I thought, you know, it's just the pain from my mouth and my lip mm-hmm. kind of hanging off. Yep. I thought maybe my head was okay because I was only feeling that pain, so I stayed on. And uh, about five minutes after that, I felt uh, everything was getting cloudy and you know, shaky. <laughs> but I still carried on because that's the, you know, this is probably one of the stupidest things I've done. It's very dangerous. I stayed on and um, we ended up winning the game in penalties. I think I saved two or three penalties. <laughs> we won the game. <laughs> but it's after that, after the game, I felt like I was going to die. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I went to, went to the hospital. They told me I had a concussion. Tell me, you know, I just needed the rest and you know, keep all, um, just be, keep time off. Um, at the time, we were playing uh, Ross County on that weekend, and obviously, you know, I wanted to play. They just signed another goalkeeper, David Hutton, and uh, you know, as a goalkeeper, you don't want to give anyone else a chance. So I would for that week, I didn't. Uh, the gaffer already told me like I wasn't going to play that against Ross County because the game after that would have been against Hibs at uh, at Easter Road, and. Uh, I started training before that, and then I went to the game at Hibs, meant to start, and I did the warm up, uh, and then that's when I really felt that I had an issue. You know, I I couldn't I couldn't complete the warm up of the match. I was feeling really dizzy, uh, especially in the crosses when the ball would go up into the floodgates, and then you know trying to read the ball, jump up, catch it, and then land, and then keep balance. It kind of felt like I just got off a off, off a roller coaster. And uh, that's when it started kind of uh, a very tough chapter in my life, maybe. Um, it was really tough to, to deal with it because uh, I was seeing a lot of doctors there in Scotland uh, with the NHS, uh, some, neurosur- uh, some neurologists, and uh, everyone was saying, you know, it's just kind of a time thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would see one and they would say three weeks and three weeks would go by and I would go see another doctor and he would say three weeks. I just told him, I just came off for three weeks. And he said, yeah, yeah, no, just wait another three weeks. I said, well, this three, just a magic number. You know, what is it? And I kind of felt helpless at the time because I felt like I couldn't do nothing. Uh, I couldn't train. You know, I couldn't do what I, what I was there to do. You know, I was in Scotland to, to play football. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I, you know, that's what I love to do. That's what I wanted to do. And I couldn't do that. Um, fortunately enough, I came to Canada to surprise my dad for his birthday. And uh, my parents, you know, made me go see a, uh, a specialist. And over here, we have concussion specialists because of a lot of, uh, a lot of kids, a lot of players play uh, hockey or uh, American football. And they see concussions all the time. Yep. And sure enough, you know, within two minutes, the specialist told me, you know, I had something wrong with my eyes. I, you know, my balance is off, my ears, everything, you know. Uh, was off and right away they could see that and I you know I was questioning why you know I wasn't getting that help before kind of thing um, fortunately enough I uh, you know they got me back and after four months I got back and went uh, went back to our boat and uh, and we still had a good season I still played a couple of good games uh, I think my f- debut back from injury was against Air United at the time their first place yeah. uh, we I think we one or tied one one. That was, was that the match. was that the famous game that that came onto the pitch? Ah no no that was no. A, that was a, <laughs> that was a cup game. Oh, yeah, so it was. <laughs> that so was, was that's game. right. 
That was the cup game. That was, I think, a week before that. Yeah. Two weeks before that, I think. It was around the same time that I we played Air United uh, around two or three times within that mm. month, I think. Because I remember talking to you at the time, obviously, because you were still coming in and seeing us at Livingston and, mm. and that, and... You know, there's nothing worse when you're injured. Patience, no, no professional athletes got patience, and now we're all turning our head out because of the situation. Yeah. Um, but that's something that you can't control. But when you've got an injury, you you feel helpless. The way you yeah. get back, and I remember when you went back over to Canada the, for for your dad's birthday, and you were on the phone, and you were saying that you've got this um, specialist, and it was weeks you were beginning to see improvement just with the, the exercises, the balance exercises, yeah, yeah. the peripheral vision exercises he was giving you. So no, yeah. and obviously when you came back, you were back in training with Faz. Uh, at that time, I'd have left Lundston at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you, you were coming back in, I got you back in there and, and you were coming mm-hmm. and doing your own stuff on myself as well. So obviously then you left, um, you left a broth and you went back over to Portugal. Yep. Yeah, I came. Uh, would have been took me into the last season, I believe. Uh, went back to Portugal um, after the concussion thing. I think I really realized, you know, I need to see the sun, mm-hmm. and you know, because there's nothing worse for, than you know. I loved Scotland. I loved playing football there, but I think that the amount of time I was injured uh, it really came to me. You know that it's it's all fun and dandy being in, you know in Scottish football, and, and it's great. It's a great place to be. But if you can't play and if you're not completely, you know, right in it, then mm-hmm. uh, it's not the best place to live. I don't think for me anyway, because I was so used to the sun. Yep. So, um, so that was something I, you know, I said, you no, know, I just needed to go, you know, somewhere where it was sunny, and uh, I got to move back to Portugal to the Algarve to Oyunes, uh, mm-hmm. the biggest team in the Algarve, uh, uh, with the best history. Um, they were in the first division uh, three years before I got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of tumbled down. And I went there, and I was there for six months, and then I moved to Tazapia, which was in first or second place at the time when I signed for them mm-hmm. in the same division in uh, kind of like League One of Portugal. And I went there, and we uh, went on and won the league. Uh, crazy league, uh, you know. In, in League One of Portugal, it's like Spain; they have its uh, kind of into the divisions where it's uh, well, not you know, more regions. So they have like yep. north, center, and south. Uh, uh, but in those, they have more regions as well. So we won the league. Uh, we finished. We won the league. We went into playoffs, a seven-week playoff process. Uh, and we came first. We won in the final. So we came first out of 72 clubs that there's in League One. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think before the final, they said that uh, our final game was 358 days since the preseason started. Wow. So almost a full year of football. Uh, I think it was a crazy achievement, um, and obviously for me it was good because I had two two league titles in three years and mm-hmm. a, a playoff at our both the the year I got concussed. So you know in three years, you know, it showed that my you know where I was anyway, the teams were winning. Yeah, no, I remember I remember the time um, the pictures that you had when you went back and the square was full of fans. You were on yeah. the airplane as well, going from going crazy, uh, yeah, going to the final that back Azores to your, the islands, yeah. Back to uh, the Algarve, and like I remember, I remember mm-hmm. you, you know this the square was just full of people, and obviously uh, the Latin celebrations were well in force. Yeah, 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 yeah. We partied all night long, but uh, yeah. yeah, we got yeah we got back, and um, they kind of had like a concert for us. So mm-hmm. uh, we went back to the square. Stage was set up, and it was flooded with people. It's on my Instagram. If anyone sees this picture, it just you know it's just a surreal experience. Mm-hmm. And then, and then from there, uh, you came back over to Scotland. Yeah, so I was there uh, at the beginning of the preseason. To mm-hmm. but obviously in Scotland, everything starts so early because of the League yeah. Cup. So uh, I was there, uh, and I was training, uh, training there with you. And then uh, you, uh, you got me in there. I put yourself as well to, to get in shape and wait for an opportunity. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a few. I had a few calls, but then at the time, I got a, a call from Portugal and Madeira. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the island where Ronaldo's from. Yep. And I ended up taking that. I came to Portugal. I came to, to Madeira mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And it was, you know, it was amazing. I think uh, it's such a beautiful place. Yeah. I've never been happier living somewhere. You know, it's just this tropical island. The yeah. coldest I got was 18 degrees. It was sunny. Uh, 
footballing was great. You know, we had a training ground with, uh, with four fields and a gym and, you know, and we had breakfast and lunch. Everything was really good. But the club, um, again, was in for, was at the top division three years ago. Mm-hmm. And now they're in League One. They dropped twice in a row. Um, so financially, they're very unstable. And uh, um, that made things difficult to, to kind of stay. You know, I love the island. I love being there. I love the club. Uh, with the people around the club. I love the, the new president that came in. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was, you know, a top guy. I hope he, that he, he changes it and he can turn things around. And even the squad I was with, you know, it was a great group of lads. But um, I had the, the opportunity now to come back to Canada. Canada has a, a new uh, Canadian Premier League. It started off last year. And uh, I got the opportunity to come to Atletico Ottawa, which is uh, owned by Atletico Madrid. So... Um, I came here, and uh, and that's kind of where it kind of leads up to where I am now. Um, we mm-hmm. went to Madrid to do the preseason. We were meant to stay in Madrid for a month, mm-hmm. and you know we would have played against the B team. We would have played against uh, a couple teams in uh, in second B, in Segunda B, second B in Porta and in Spain, which would have been League One, um, and possibly even a championship club or so, uh, depending on the scheduling. But um, now with all this, we had uh, we're in Madrid during the lockdown, mm. so Madrid went all into lockdown, you know, like military lockdown with uh, with uh, the military on the streets, and uh, so we had to get out quickly. Mm-hmm. We flew back and we came back to to Canada. Uh, so we went to Ottawa, and uh, we had to do the fourteen days of isolation. We couldn't even go out for a walk. Uh, we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't go to the grocery shop. We couldn't do nothing for fourteen days. But, um, uh, and now I'm home with my parents now. So it's, uh, you know, I, you know, I could be worse, but, uh, that leads up to the situation right now where, you know, we're all kind of the same boat right now, waiting it out, waiting for things to get back to normal so we can get on the pitch and do what we love. 100%. And I think as well, just even going from getting from Madrid back over to Canada's, you know, is a lifesaver for you because, you know, yeah. they could have stopped that. You could have just have been stuck in Madrid. Uh, yeah, yes, a, lot you... of, uh, a lot of the boys were worried about that for sure, mm-hmm. um, because of that. You know, like, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody, you know, because we we had the example of Italy that they went fully locked down. Yeah, know, every city, everything was fully locked down. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people were starting to panic. But uh, fortunately enough, the club was you know proactive already before it shut down. They were already thinking about it mm-hmm. because there was already threats that you know things were going to shut down. You know, the that things might get bad. Yep. So they're already looking into that anyway. So yeah, um, once once that happened, it just confirmed everything, and we got over it as soon as we could. So obviously the the uh, the Canada Super League, like you said, started last year, and that's on the back of um, having a World Cup in two thousand twenty six. Yeah. So yeah. my question to you: Surely you are one of your goals or ambitions is can you get in that squad? We're now playing in the, uh, the Canadian Super League, so you're now yeah. in, um, in the the vision of obviously the, the manager, the selectors, the scouts, whatever it may be, you know. Yeah, for sure. That's something it, that's influenced me. That's what made me come here. I think to be you know back here, back in the backyard of the of the national team coach, so you can see me, so you can see me firsthand. Um, yeah. Last year, one of the boys from the league got called up. Um, so I think that's for sure one of my biggest motivations coming here is that that I want to go back to the national team. I want to get back onto that stage. So that's something hopefully I can fight for this year if, uh, if everything gets back to normal. Yeah, yeah. So just moving on, uh, Ricky, before I go into some of the questions that the young goalkeepers have set in, uh, who's been your biggest influence in your career and why? Um, directly, I would say my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my father uh, taught me maybe the basics of life, you know, that uh, if you really wanted something, you had to work for it. You know, mm-hmm. and if you really want something, then you'll find a way. You'll do everything you can because you want it, because you love it. You'll you'll find the time to, mm-hmm. to improve. Better. You'll find the time to get better at it. Yep. And I think that's something that I've always taken on, and um, it helped me out when I uh, when I was younger. It put me kind of into a working mentality, something that I wanted to outwork everyone. Uh, so that's why I wanted to outwork everyone. I did, <laughs> and. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing. And obviously, you know, uh, he put in a lot of my 
miles with me, uh, traveling to, to, to matches and uh, trainings and, you know, waking up early to take me to training and so on. Um, I think definitely my dad, uh, firsthand, he would definitely be the biggest influence I had in, in football and in my life. I think, I think uh, thinking back to myself, that I, you know, my dad is my hero, biggest influence. Um, and I think if you ask 99% um people that's involved, not just in football, but in life in general. Your dad is your biggest influence, or one of your biggest influences. So just uh, moving on from that one. So in a football sense, who yeah. who, who is like your biggest influence coach-wise, um, uh, stuff like that? Um, I think when I was younger, I had an English coach, goalkeeper coach. I think he was maybe one of my most important influences mm-hmm. um, because he taught me how to be mentally tough. Um, I remember I went to, so in Canada, you have, you know, the club level, then you have a uh, regional level. And then from regional level, you get picked onto provincial. And then from provincial, whenever there's a national team get together because the country's so big, they can't get together all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be selected. Um, so I was at the regional level and uh uh, we had two English uh, coaches. So the head coach was Dave Peake, a big Manchester United fan. Uh, I believe he's from Manchester. And then the goalkeeper coach was this uh, old old guy called uh, Peter. And I remember going to training. And now, you know, it was the first time I was in my environment where, like, I was the best in my club. Mm-hmm. And now I'm playing for a regional team. So I'm playing against other guys that are the best at their, at their club as well. Yep. So the, the level was higher. And I was training with goalkeepers that are probably, you know, at my level or probably above me at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember the goalkeeper coach would just rip me apart every time I made a mistake. <laughs> just absolutely go through me. Just go through me. You know, I hated life at the time. I yeah. hated it. I remember getting to train, uh, getting back in the car, you know, breaking down into tears and, you know, saying I was going to quit, saying, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, I'm just going to quit. That's me. <laughs> Did that a couple of times. Uh, that I, you know, I think my my teammates from my club that were also in the squad uh, helped convince me, and my parents helped convince me as well. So I stayed on, and sure enough, I was able to get this mental toughness where he would go right through me and absolutely rip me. But mm-hmm. I was able to understand which was the important parts to that. You know, yeah. what was important, what did I need to hear, what did, didn't I need to hear. And I think as a goalkeeper, it's you know, it's crucial for us, you know, because behind us we have you know. How many people yelling at us, you know, trying to throw us off our game. And the most important thing is to stay focused on the task and, and see what we did wrong mm-hmm. versus, you know, what they're telling us that we did wrong or what we, you know. And I think that's where I start understanding, you know, every mistake I made, uh, how to counteract it and how to be better at it. And that's kind of where I kind of tried to become a perfectionist um, because of that coach, because he was forcing me. He was, you know, putting me to a different level. You know, he was demanding different things from me. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me was, you know, a big, a big influence on me. Uh, mentally, I was never the same. Mentally, I was much stronger. You know, I could hear whatever, you know, now anyone can tell me anything on the football pitch and I don't even, you know, I listen, yeah. but I only hear parts of it, only mm-hmm. the parts that I need, only the parts yeah. that motivate me or, or improve me or make me realize something that I, maybe I didn't realize, you know, everything else kind of just gets passed on. And I think that's, you know, a, a really really important thing for me um uh as far as maybe you know like an idol growing up uh would be uh, Vitor Bahia he's a Portuguese uh, national team played for Barcelona played for FC Porto won a couple Champions Leagues won a UEFA Cup uh at UEFA Cup against Celtic uh, yeah. when Rob Douglas was in the other net yeah um and, you know he was uh, the most decorated footballer uh in history until recently and he was the, the big idol of mine. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be him and Peter Schmeichel were kind of the two guys I would look up to. Mm-hmm. Guys that I would try to piece parts of their games and try to put into my game. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So I'm just going to move on. Wrecking, I've got a few yeah. questions in from uh, some, of the, some of the goalkeepers. Yeah, I, Ross, I have a, a workout in a couple of minutes. So yep. you just might have to pass we'll, we'll do, we'll do three. Is that okay? Do three questions? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no worries. Okay, so the first one um, I'm going to do is, what is the, this is from Norbert, what is a really good way to practice concentration? Concentration, it's something I always look at trying to practice as well, so I'm always trying to find a new thing to do. Um, I think 
there's a couple different techniques. Uh, funny enough, I think juggling is a good way to practice your concentration because mm -hmm. you have to concentrate on what you're doing at the time. If you learn to juggle, you have this, this concentration that's a bit different. And if you can train that, I think it improves a lot. I'd say reading as well. Um, but don't just read to read. I think if you, you know, you set a goal of, you know, I have to be concentrated and read fully and be fully immersed in what I'm doing for 45 minutes, mm -hmm. maybe the first day or 20 minutes, 10 minutes, the first day, and then mm -hmm. try to build that up to being fully focused and you can fully read something for 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Then it's the same as a game, you know, for 90 minutes, you're fully focused on something. I think uh, that's a good way to, to stay focused, but really try to time yourself and challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. That way you can see improvements on it. And that way you can see what you, uh, what you, how you're growing on it. Uh, you know, some people can't stay focused to read 10 minutes or five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, you know, first day, you know, set that target, set that goal of being focused and reading something for 10 minutes, you know, read a book, um, recommend, you know, you, re you can read any book, but if you also you can read a book about, you know, self-improvement or about footballing mentality or something about, you know, that we can use in the game would be even more perfect. But anything to, to help that focus, I think is a, a big thing. Um, even some video games as well. If you're very competitive, Video games, obviously, you know, you can play Fort. Uh, I think Fortnite is a big game for everyone. Yeah, uh, every place. time, every time, every time you, you get shot at, you might see that maybe you messed up or you, or, or you weren't fully concentrated. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can challenge yourself to be more concentrated and not make the same mistakes as well. Um, I think that's uh, probably the easiest ways without, uh, without getting too fancy to, to improve your, your concentration. Okay. And um, last question. What piece of advice would you give any young goalkeepers? Piece of advice. Um, I think, firstly, you need to enjoy it. You need to enjoy what you're doing. You need to find a way to keep enjoying it. You need to find uh, a way to challenge yourself. Um, I think as goalkeepers or players or anyone in life, I think the, what the ultimate goal for everyone should be is try, trying to improve every day. Um, you know, so find an aspect that maybe you need to improve on and try to improve it, you know, try to master it. I always tell my goalkeepers, uh, you know, I've coached for you as well. I've coached some goalkeepers at Save Hands. And I, you know, I try to tell them, you know, in a, in a training session, uh, I don't mind if you go slower or do things slower, but try to be perfect in the training session because in our position, we need to be near perfect because as a goalkeeper, you make half a mistake and maybe you get caught out right? Uh, yeah. Half a mistake and it's your fault. You're, you're to blame all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just the position we play. So if we can train at a, uh, for a full 45 minutes, 90 minutes and try to be perfect and get that perfection in, then um, train slower today, but perfectly tomorrow we're going to get faster and better and faster and better. Yeah. But if, you know, pra perfect practice makes, makes perfect. It was funny I saying that because I used, they had a task last week and it was what is what is a practice make and they put perfect and mm -hmm. the way I reworded it to them is nobody can be perfect practice can make better practice well, is everything a practice mm -hmm. practice makes progress so finally Ricky then I, I think go. that's also important to know is that you can never be perfect yeah but you have to try to be perfect because that's what makes you better yep hundred percent finally Ricky what does goalkeeping mean to you? What does goalkeeping mean to me? Let's see, the first things that popped into my mind uh, is winning, uh, shot stopping, saves, uh, being a hero, uh, being a leader. Uh, you know, at the back, we see everything. We can be that leader. We can be almost like a second coach on the pitch because we can see everything with communication. We can pass that on to, to our teammates. Um, being a goalkeeper. Those are probably the positive things. <laughs> Being a goalkeeper on the negative things is maybe, you know, you might feel alone. You might feel uh, not good enough at sometimes. Um, sometimes you might have people helping you. Sometimes you won't. Um, but I think, you know, you also have to believe in yourself and you have to know that what you're doing is, is what you love. If it wasn't, then you wouldn't do it. You know, you probably would have gave up on the second day or the third day or the fourth day. But, you know, some goalkeepers have already been doing it for years and years. So, you know, this is what you love. You know, you, you, there's things that obviously everyone would change things, but I think it's something that everyone that's already in it is, is in it for love. So we all have to 
remember that even during the tough times as well. Not just only the times when everyone's making the top corner saves and uh, and being the the man of the match and the hero. Brilliant, Ricky. For, for, uh, well, Ricky, that's the end. Obviously, in time. I know you need to go and right, get cheers. your work Yeah, out. yeah. I gotta uh, do that. The Zoom work, <laughs> like uh, like most of you are doing with Ross as well. I think. Yeah. Um, firstly, thank thank you, thank you for coming on, taking time, um, answer the questions uh, for the safe fans, chat with the pros, interviews. Please stay safe. Keep in touch, and I will speak to you soon. Thank you for listening, and remember to share and subscribe. We will see you for the next episode of Chat with the Pros.